Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 64, Really Old and Really Kind and Alone. This week we're discussing series 5, episode 2 of Doctor Who, The Beast Below, and season 1, episode 3 of Angel, In the Dark. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, Space Whales. Space Whales. <laughs> um, we're not going to talk about that right no, away, no, but we're that's probably that. what we're most excited to talk about. <laughs> um, we're going to we start out, right I away. think, with Amy. Okay. Amy Jessica Pond. We find mm. out her middle name, Amelia. Yeah, we get a middle name here. Um, I, and actually, so, okay, let's start there, because that's in, in the... Uh, voting booth so to speak whatever you want to call it the cubicle mm-hmm. or whatever it is um <laughs> so we get we get her name her full name mm-hmm. and you know the ridiculous age that the computer thinks she is yeah um but i like that moment where it says marital status which is yeah. like okay that's interesting i guess because why would you need that to vote but, like, the name and the age I can under- understand to make sure people are, like, old enough and that it's the right person. But then mm-hmm. why would you indicate marital status in a voting booth? Regardless, obviously, the the idea there is to yeah. uh, sort of give her a moment of, like, she's almost, like, wondering, oh, am I married? <laughs> like, like she, what she does happen? Is- she sits up like she's yeah. interested to hear the answer. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, what am I going to do? Am I actually going to go back and marry? Yeah. Uh, who, whomever. Well, we I don't actually to, even I know mean, who she's going to possibly go back and marry yet. We don't know who the right. Is. We don't. We don't really know that yet at that point. Um, um, um. And I. So there's a couple things. Like, I, I guess it is a bit contrived to have that there. I mean, you do fill out forms where they ask you your marital status. So maybe they're for some sort of you know, record keeping purposes. Yeah. <clears throat> They're interested to know that, you know. Um, but I like that. I like the kind of I... indecision of that moment because yeah. it's almost like even though it's in the past, because it hasn't happened yet to Amy, it's still in a state of undecision in a way. And yeah. so there's like, there's a sense in which, yeah, that was a thousand years ago, but also she kind of hasn't decided yet what she's going to do. And so maybe it's unknown because she's undecided. Like, I like that kind of, like, sure. ambiguity there of the timeline, you know? Yeah. Although one has to wonder how the British government would have kept records for that long on her, you know, uh, age and, and name right. without having that information. Well, but that's what well, that's kind of why I like it is because... It's, there's no ambiguity about her name and her age, but there is ambiguity about what she's going to do. About So it kind of is a pointer to her own hesitance, I guess, and her, maybe her own kind of the fact that she hasn't, because she hasn't made up her mind, it's mm-hmm. not 100% fixed in the timeline yet. Sure. I, that's speculation, but I kind of like that idea. Yeah, no, and that's possible, I suppose. Um, so, yeah. Um but I guess, and this is sort of like, I guess, broader than just her being in there, but you, you get sort of the whole 
conceit of what the place, what's going on kind of in, in the whole Starship UK mm-hmm. scene too, right? So you get all of the information that there's some, you know, there, this is some sort of voting booth and that most people vote the same way because yeah. if if that weren't the case, you only need a 1% right. population of protests, which is a very low bar, even for it like, is. even for like the low numbers of voters we get for national elections in, in yeah. the US or wherever, like 1% is really extremely low. So, yeah. I mean, clearly that means 99% of people who are voting, which it seems like they're kind of forced to vote. Like it's, it's not only like compulsory, like, you know, compulsory voting, like, in some countries, you'll get a fine if you don't vote. Like, this isn't, you'll get a fine. This is, you stay in the room until you make a decision. Right, it seems like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And and protesters get fed to the beast. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and, right, that's you know, what we learn, you know, yeah, later eventually. on, eventually. Yeah. So, yeah, so, like, clearly, although we don't know if people in general know that, I guess. Right. I mean, right. they don't. Because they they've chosen that, to forget about the beast, yeah. Right, and and they know that protesters apparently don't come back, but we don't know if they even really remember that or not. We just know, um, you know, what Mandy says is that everybody chooses to forget. Right. And so we kind of t- take her at our word for it because there's not... Although we do have to, I guess, sort of assume that there are at least some protesters... Although a very minuscule amount, less than one percent, clearly. Right. I, I think there's another interpretation though I had of that. So like, because mm-hmm. later when when we go down, you know, we learn that protesters and whatever I forget, you know, like, like people of limited value. Yeah, something. people of limited value right. get fed to the beast, except for children, which the beast doesn't feed on. It doesn't right. eat them. So the the point i guess there being is that it seems to be sort of accepted that there are protesters that actually well protest i guess right so like like i think i think because we are sort of inclined to take mandy at her word but also you know she's a kid and she only sees the people who come back you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. we can maybe explain that just by limited experience or something yeah um and I'm kind of all over the place with this, but what kind of where I'm I'm going with all this is we don't really get a full explanation of what the 1% of protesters means. Mm. Like, because the protesters get eaten. Right. So when the protesters are gone, there are no more protesters. So you can't have 1% of the population that is ever really fully actively protesting because they just get eaten. Well, well right. Right. So, so it's like not only not only does the system sort of terrify you into complying like into complying with the system, but they like physically get rid of anyone who yeah, doesn't conform, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. So any any protester is not a protester for very long. They're right. soon non-entities. Right. Um which it's one of the problems I would say with this because <laughs> yeah. because if that's the case, then the whole system was set up, you know, to be completely biased 
to begin with. Yes. I mean, and I, yeah, yeah. and even even if the one percent protester thing, I mean, clearly that's still a bias. But like this is this is not just like bias. I guess it's like you know forever self perpetuating. There's just no way to not ever. At least with the one percent, you could say, well, you know, they set some very low bar of you know moral. Uh, uh, I don't even know what the word is that I'm looking for, but you know, there's, there's at least a chance that they could stop doing what everyone sort of seems to agree is a bad thing to do if they're choosing to forget it. So, um, or choosing to, I guess really either way that you look at it, they're saying it's a bad thing if they protest or forget. Um, right. They, they know that there's a, a problem with what's going on. Right. Um, and literally no way to fix it. Yeah. Which I suppose is just a general metaphor for government anyway. Right. Well, and that's kind of a a scathing remark by the doctor about once every five years, everyone chooses to forget what they've learned. Democracy in action. You know, yeah. that yeah. you never, you just sort of, it is kind of a self-perpetuating, you start over from scratch, and are you ever really putting anything of what you've learned into practice? You're just sort of wiping the slate clean and starting all over again. Right. Um, you know, that's well, kind of a kind of a, a acidic remark on, you know, democratic government, I guess, or any kind of government. This is hardly democracy. I mean, it's it is democracy because there's voting, but also, like you said, and even like the doctor says, it's a police state. It's not true democracy. It's it's a not exactly a well. Is it a dictatorship? I don't know, but certainly the government is well, actively, you know, getting rid of any dissenters. So in that sense, it has more in line with a fascist or a or a communist government, I guess, than like an actual democracy right yeah no it's more of the like you know the kim jong-un where you know 100 yeah. percent of people voted for him to stay in office right right okay, yeah yeah uh-huh uh-huh yeah of course um so so yeah i mean i there, there is that element to it but i guess yeah it's hard to say like we don't know enough we never really learn enough about the setup to make the determination of whether you know it's truly democratic or truly like did everyone vote and this is the system that they voted on and now they now future generations can't unvote it you know so there's like this whole like like is this like a social contract thing that you know kind of went haywire and 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 so you know now what's what's the right thing to go by here or is it or was it something that was which seems to be implied at the end with the queen, you know, abdicating or forgetting or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. The implication seems to be there that she set it up, like, you know, from the highest authority, which is her. And, you know, since she's not a subject anyway, she, you know, is sort of the only one who matters and it was her system. So I don't, but I don't know. Again, we don't quite get enough information to make, real determination of that but i think suffice to say that the system that they set up is a self-perpetuating one that yeah that no matter like you it's one 
in which, yes, even with such a low bar, you will never clear that bar mm. because immediately any protesters... The system ensures that you won't, yeah. yeah. Yeah, any any protesters are immediately taken care of, so... Yeah, and I think there's some... There's definitely some holes in the logic of how this system works. Like, as a kind of a political commentary, it doesn't totally hold together. But I do think there's some kind of thematically it's it's kind of a nice idea that there is this sort of tension between which i think is very kind of relatable for modern western society is this tension between would you rather have you know truth however dangerous and uncomfortable it might be or would you rather sort of be blissfully ignorant you know of the reality of what goes on you know to keep you sort of what what sort of you know inhumanity is your sort of comfortable life based on basically you know sure. and and i mean not that's not to say that like you know everyone's existence is you know reliant on terror in the same way that this culture's reliant on the torture of the beast and everything but you know that's kind of a I kind of like that as like a political theme, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a nice kernel of an idea there. Um, but I kind of agree that the, the, I guess the mechanics of the world aren't quite fleshed out enough to feel satisfying, or there's some sort of contradictory bits, which are, um, not the most, you know, I guess not the most satisfying, um, yeah, it's, viewer. I guess it's hard for me to see a society that would punish children in the way that this society seems to. Yeah. Like yeah. that? Well, it, it, it's, there's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I think it's like all of that kind of nice, subtle political nuance is slightly undercut by like the child getting fed to the beast because he got a zero in his homework. Like, yeah, there's sort of something really um, uh, absurd about that, which isn't quite on the same register as the like, you know, angry political stuff. Like, it's kind of hard to see how those things are compatible. Like, if you're going to do like, you know, a realistic, you know, political commentary or realistic within the parameters of Doctor Who, I guess, um, <laughs> then... It's yeah. kind of like, it kind of sets a different tone to start your episode by having a kid get fed to a beast because of his, like, he didn't turn his homework in on time. Like, that just tells you you're in a different kind of story. And it's sort of hard to imagine any society where that is, like, normal practice, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you kind of just get that sense of that element and the smilers those are there as the kind of obligatory concession to like well we need the threat to the children like like a threat that children will understand yeah. like so maybe For they the won't children. understand the political nuance but they'll understand getting fed to a monster or or and that's kind of i think why the maybe the smilers don't really work because you kind of don't see the point of them like why are there these faces in the booths and why are they the same thing as these cloaked men who are like, mm -hmm. like they kind of, 
his head turns around and he is one of the smile like that doesn't really make any sense and, yeah you know there's a few elements in here and that feel like we're just sort of shoved in and yeah. they don't really fit <laughs> yeah. with everything else. Well, and and that's it. so like the first time I watched this, the yeah, getting a zero and you know the kid going into the thing and and it's right. So I guess technically he doesn't get fed to the beast because he got a zero. He gets fed to the beast because he didn't go the right use the right mode of transportation to his deck after getting a zero. Like, right. Well, like, know, if he goes in there, it's going to know that he got a zero. And then... Yeah, well, like, that's because the thing. Because I, like, I take it as that he's one of the people of limited value. Like, because he doesn't right. get good marks at school, he's less, you know, it's like a eugenics thing. And he's going to, as yeah. the class dunce, he's going to get fed to the beast. That's kind of my interpretation. Yeah. May yeah, maybe, I guess. I guess I took it more as it was, you know, the getting the zero was a punishment. And so he's supposed to not take the elevator or the Vader. Mm -hmm. And, and, and by doing so, he's like more of a rebellious type, mm. like, because he doesn't do and what maybe. he's supposed to do. Right. Maybe, maybe it's a mix and of both. Be, yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's but, true. Like, is this a, I think a, a protester in formation, someone who doesn't do what he's told, you know, I think uh, the fact that we both interpret that differently also points to points perhaps to the, issue, the, yeah. The, yeah. the problem of the episodes, you know, with there yeah. being holes yeah. and, and yeah. And I think maybe ambiguity is not in a good way. Like it, it spends so much time explaining to you, like the logic of how the system works that the, that the, the problems then are more obvious because it, yeah. it gets you really analyzing the political situation, but sure. then there are certain aspects of it which aren't as fleshed out. So then it kind of, those become a little bit more obvious. Um, we were talking I, about Amy. <laughs> I know, I know. I went way off the topic, uh, but I want to stay off the topic because I, I want to say okay. too that, that I th just to sort of round off like the whole flawed government yeah. stuff here. Like the other thing that I had trouble dealing with, and maybe this is just more my ignorance of how British constitutional monarchy <laughs> works, but yeah. like they keep referring to, you know, Liz 10 as the highest authority and whatever, but like, right. They're clearly adhering to some old, yeah, like uh, there seems to be uh, an absence, uh, an absence of a parliament and a prime minister and all that kind of. Well, I know, but even just like you know, they're saying, "Oh, yes, you know, we adhere to the higher authority," but she's the highest authority. So, like, wouldn't her present like commands take precedent over any like previous commands she made? So, like, but they seem to be adhering to some. Again, like some system that she set up, you know, hundreds of years ago, and they'll only listen to her like after she watches this and either abdicates or forgets. Well, why can't she just say, no, I'm not going to do either of those. Listen to what I'm saying now. And right. it supersedes everything that I've ever said before now. Like, yeah, I guess it's one of those things like, again, like I haven't like you get those scenes in movies where people are like. No matter how much I beg you, no matter how much I plead, don't let me do this thing, whatever. You know, like... Yeah, but that... It, it, that's kind of... I mean, I'm not saying that makes sense, but that seems to be what they're doing, is saying, like, 
like you said, she's set this up and she's told them, you know, these are my orders and no matter how much I, you know, I'm going to forget everything. So no matter how much, you know, I investigate or want to do this, don't let me. Basically. Yeah. That seems. And yeah. that's sort of where I got to that they were probably going with. Yeah. I guess, I guess one, they could have incorporated that a little better into the message to herself. Uh-huh. Um, if that were the case, but then also like, I still don't see why that necessarily would supersede her current command. Like that's her still an old orders, command. Yeah. So like yeah. if her current command is shut up and release the stupid space whale, <laughs> which I suppose she doesn't even really know it's a space whale at that point, but just, you know, yeah, screw this. I'm not going to either abdicate or forget. I'm going to remember and tell you to do this thing for me now. Yeah. Then that seems like it would, yeah, again, supersede any previous command that that she had. So that's right. just sort of, all right, we spent yeah. 20 minutes, like, crapping all over the episode. <laughs> no, I do want to well, say I that mean, there are is, elements that is, I liked. This is not, I think the 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 political stuff does have, and, and not even just, not the substance of the political commentary as much as, like, just the mechanics of yeah, how it works really are just, really just, just kind of... execution of, of all yeah, of the different um, pieces seemed a little choppy. Yeah, and, and just to kind of round that off before we get into more the character stuff, I guess, um, you know, this is definitely not one of Moffat's most popular. As I said to you a couple minutes ago, this is our first example of the fact that no, Moffat isn't perfect and that's okay and you know now we've we've had some ups and downs with Davies I think more ups than downs um but you know now the the torch has been passed and we get to see a little bit of that with Moffat um yeah like you know and that is just the reality of it's one thing to write one episode a year and you can make sure that it's the best thing that you write and everyone loves you and that's great but when you're in charge of the show and you're overseeing everything, everything isn't going to rise to that highest of standards. You know, yeah. he's not only has to oversee every script and every aspect of production, he has to write five or six episodes a year, you know? So they can't all be blink. Um, right. And, and, and Moffat admits, he says, you know, if whenever asked to say, you know, if he has to pick, a script of his or an episode of his, which he's, you know, not as proud of, I guess. Um, he often will throw this one out and say, I think I have a quote here that he said, it, it's a bit of a mess. Um, <laughs> but I, I also kind of, I like to see him kind of pushing himself in that way a little bit. Like we kind of talked about this before of, him and Davies trying to sort of learn from each other. And I think this is his first sort of foray, foray into um, that kind of social commentary story that Davies would do a lot. Like I think of like the long game or gridlock, you know, where you get like a futuristic world with sort of a, you know, conceit of how it's sort of set up. And then the doctor goes about, dismantling it and bringing down the government as he says in this so yeah. you know maybe you know we can if this theme comes up again we could kind of see if he's learning from his first you know mm. steps into it or whatever 
Um, the way you say that makes me suspect we will have opportunity no, to do so. <laughs> I actually don't have anything in mind. Um, I'm just I'm just kind of riffing on the idea that Moffat's trying to do. I think part of being the showrunner is being as much of a well-rounded writer as you can. So it's not just being the guy who can do one really tight, high-concept script a year, but being a guy who can do that, but who can also do a political story or who can do a really um, emotional story or or whatever, you know, that you have to sure. have as broad of a range as you can. So I kind of think of this as like, him sort of trying to go in some different directions. Um, and actually, like, in the kind of research I've done of the classic series, this kind of socially driven political satire is kind of one of the traditions of classic Doctor Who anyway. Um, certain eras of the show were very big on that, you know, kind of using, like in the late 80s, you know, using Doctor Who to sort of satirize Thatcher politics or whatever, like whatever was in the air at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, he's kind of, I think, experimenting maybe with some different types of stories. So um, let's get more into the characters, because I actually do think, you know, world building aside, there's some nice sort of character and thematic stuff in this episode. So um, maybe, maybe we should we go back to Amy and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, round off uh, let's, let's her go character back. a bit. <laughs> um, and uh, is that your cat? Huh? Is it, is it, I, I hear a noise in the background. There's, that... Yeah, there's some kids playing oh, those are in the kids. street outside my house. And they're screaming now. Yeah, so yeah. At first I, I thought it was your cat, but I hear I, <laughs> usually, that scream. Usually I if there's crying, it's my cat. Um, no. I can't. I can there's, cut this part out. They're screaming, and I don't think they're dying horribly, although it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> That's loud. All right, so Amy. Um, yeah, so right from the get-go. Um, so I like that um, <laughs> I like that she's still in her nightgown. It's kind of funny. Like she's she still, and, if you didn't, and if you didn't get the... You know, I pointed out Wendy Darling last week, yeah. and I'm sure when you get her flying in space with her hair and her nightgown, that's kind of a big bullseye saying. Yeah, absolutely. Know. Yeah, yeah. This is well, and then you get the the overdub, the the voiceover of her saying, yeah. you know, when I was seven, I had an imaginary friend. Oh, again, you know, like yeah, Peter yeah. Pan, you know, young Wendy. Yeah. Um, last night was night for our wedding. He came back. Um. So she was seven in the in that in the mm -hmm. first episode. I guess I missed her age if she ever said it. Yeah, um, she was seven, and then it was a twelve-year gap. Right, and then and another then, two years. and then another two years. So she's twenty-one at this point. Right. Um, which is a little bit older than Rose when yeah. she first yep. meets the doctor. So okay. Yeah, a little bit older than Rose, a little bit younger than Martha. Right, right. And that's what I was, because I was going to comment on the fact that she actually is a little more, it seems, um, okay with kind of going off on her own than mm. Rose was at first. Yeah. So, um, you know, not much older than Rose, but, but she sort of had, like, she doesn't, 
she kind of questions the doctor when he says, you know, oh, go follow Mandy mm -hmm. and, you know, ask her these questions. But but not too much. Like, she doesn't give, like, a big protest or anything or, like, yeah. you know, kind of kind of just goes off and, and does it and seems to just be okay with, like, going and investigating the hole that's created by the space whale tentacle thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like, all of that up until... She gets sort of knocked yeah, out. Yeah, no, you and... get, you kind of get that Amy has that fiery kind of spunk. Yeah, she's like, a little more adventurous. Yeah, a little bit like, and even the way the doctor, he kind of almost dares her, like you know, like okay, you know what, what will, uh, what does he say? Like it's, it's I like she kind of yeah. does her her lip service to protesting. I don't know what to do. I'm in my nighty, all this stuff. And he says, "It's this or Ledworth. Let's see what right. will Amy Pond choose." And basically, you know, you either get with the program or you can get back to where you were. And she kind of narrows her eyes, like, "Okay, challenge accepted." Um, so you kind of get that little bit of a spark to her, and definitely the way she, you know knows how to pick a lock and um and kind of says you know okay just because they tell you not to talk about it that means you don't you know right, you kind of right. see that she's a little bit of a rebel herself i think yeah um so you know cool um the uh i guess the other um thing that i wanted to mention was just well, and again, she's doing all this in her nightgown still. <laughs> like, she, I I guess we don't know. This is like another one of those, like, we don't really know how long they've been out and about. But, this, I mean, it seems like this is the first place they wind up right after. Yeah. Like, it, it's following pretty closely on the heels of the last episode, right? It's not like. Yeah. Well, but, did you did you have a chance to watch that little additional scene? At the end of the 11th hour. Oh, you know what? No, I did not. So okay. does that explain that, a little more? Well, at the end of it, um, the doctor pushes her out the door of the TARDIS. And oh, it like literally okay. ends with him pushing her out. So you kind of get that she's now flying out. So he, so it literally, if you put that scene in. Okay. And it's so not it's a, a hugely important scene. Yeah, it's not hugely important. It doesn't like give any major plot points. But it it does show that... This is right afterward, and so okay. he's pushed her out, and she's flying outside, so, yeah. I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, so no, this is definitely, I mean, we will get those times where there are gaps in between, so you could theoretically be having X amount of adventures, you know, in the middle of these different stories, but this one is definitely following straight on the heels, and this is, like, five minutes later. Okay, all right. Um. Okay, so very... That's good. Yeah, I guess I should have watched that. <laughs> anyway. Um, I'll link to it. No biggie. But I guess I guess one of the other things... So, like... So, she go And we, we get that bit about her character that she's, you know... Okay, she's a little sort of more willing to go explore maybe than your average person. And and seems okay with sort of the ambiguity or, or investigating things or whatever. Mm. Um, but I wanted to talk about, like, her her big sin, her, her mm. thing that she does wrong that the doctor doesn't like. Cause yeah, 
I guess I'm sort of not on the doctor's side on that. Okay. Um, so, okay, so she's in the voting booth, and, and we don't see it, but she records this message, apparently, that, you know, to herself, that she needs to go find the doctor, tell him, you know, not to investigate, now would just to leave, and never you know, come back or that kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. and the explanation that we get later, which is sort of the doctor's interpretation is that she was trying to take the choice away from him Mm. of what to do, uh, you know, as far as, you know, because, because it would have been an impossible decision of whether to, you know, save humanity or save the whale. And of course he's going to try to take some middle ground where he doesn't quite kill the whale, Mm. but, he does kill it, you know, like, right. Um, in the end. And he gets mad at her for that. Right. And I don't know, I guess, I guess one, we've seen him take that choice away from other people. Right. <laughs> like as, as 10, I mean, that was the thing where, he, and I guess he also admits that it's where he went too far. Right. With, with the waters of Mars. Right. You know, he's, mm-hmm. I'm the doctor. I can control time. I can do what I want, basically. Right. So, like, yes. But at the same time, like, that wasn't quite the degree to which Amy was playing, it seems. Right. Hers was more of a convince the doctor to leave that it's time to go. And maybe, yeah, it's not telling him all the information, but when does the doctor ever tell anyone all the information that he has? Yeah. So, like... I mean, even in this episode, you know, she's like, why did you do that with the cup? He's like, I don't know. I think a lot. And so I'm not going to tell you because, you know, like he could tell her why. There's no reason why he couldn't. So like even within this, the bounds of this episode, it's it's a little sketchy as to him getting so pissed off about the fact that she briefly. Yeah. You know recorded a message right after learning something extremely traumatic, apparently, you know, and, and wanted to clear out and take him with her and, you know, not have to go through that decision of that pain. So I don't know, I guess I'm a little perturbed (laughs) by the doctor's sort of criticism of Amy in that, in that moment, because it's, well, I think she is too. That kind of is her, that's her whole point is, you know, I think pretty much in in so many words, in slightly different words, that's basically what she's saying, you know, is, you know, come on. Like, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to say it better than you said it, basically, you know. Um, yeah. I don't well, have a real defense for him, you know, I think he. Well, and the whole, you know, where she's like, you know, you know, I made a mistake. I'm, I'm, and he's like, what, you're only human. Like very, very, that seems strange to me too, from like the doctors. Like, I don't think we've got that sort of condescension Mm. uh, from him before that I can remember. I mean, maybe, maybe there's something I'm not remembering, but, but it just seems very, yeah, again, yeah, I guess just condescending. It seems, it seems like he's, you know, like that human is a bad thing. Whereas most of the time he's like, you know, the flaws of humanity are great. That's what makes you 
right a, a worthy you know person or a worthy race of people you know so i thought that yeah. was a little strange well, as well i don't want to i don't want to look ahead too much but um i mean i think kind of keep an eye on that because we sort of um talked about that you know with the ninth and the tenth doctors you know kind of being influenced by you know rose and the rest of the companions into kind of having this love for humanity and then um and and i think even the tenth doctor being maybe the most sort of in love with the idea of humanity and kind of mm -hmm. holding that up and what does that mean and i think we're getting a hint of the doctor being maybe this version of the doctor being maybe a little bit more removed from that um mm. that mm. you know and a lot of talk you know and we can kind of see ongoing whether this holds water or not but a lot of the talk around this doctor is how alien he is you know um mm. and and that might be maybe one of the areas in which like i said like the the new doctor always sort of responds to the last and in and in some ways even reacts against the last. So if you have a doctor who is very, you know, human, you know, and, and, and not to say that the 10th doctor didn't have his alien moments, you know, but, you know, that's kind of one of the ways in which this one goes in a slightly different direction, I think. Yeah. Um, but, well. you know, but kind of it, it, it's that same old doctor thing of, he does that and he you know misunderstands and almost makes mistakes and then it is the companions that pull him back you know and find the the better way and ground him you know and by the end he kind of realizes she understands things way better than he did um yeah well yeah and and they're right so i don't mean to say all that and not get to the end part too because there's definitely he does sort of forgive her for that uh, mm. indiscretion or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, that she has, you know, when she does actually come up with how to actually save everyone, you know, the space whale included. And, and so, and, and part of that is her, you know, realizing that it's, you know, seeing sort of empathizing, not just with the whale, but with the doctor too, and sort of seeing how they're similar and, and mm -hmm. realizing that they're doing what each one is doing, what they're doing for the same kinds of reasons. And that, yeah. and that's the other thing, because like, you know, even as he's sort of showing, even as the doctor sort of showing his condescension, you also know that he's trying to save humanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or at least humanity in this, you know, on this particular ship. Um, so there's also like that aspect of it as well. It's like, yeah, anyway, I, I guess maybe I've dwelt on it a little bit too much, but that, <laughs> that was sort of something that bothered me was just that, that whole sort of reaction he has, especially when, and, may, and maybe you're right. Maybe it is him sort of responding, you know, to his own self. It's, you know, because he remembers perhaps still the fact that he took choice away from someone else. And so now he's like super sensitive to it being right. taken away from him, you know, like, right. Right. Uh, 
that could totally be, but it, it just and, sort of irked me a little. Yeah, and, and I think from kind of looking at it from more of a outside the narrative point of view too, I think there's a couple times in these first couple episodes where, as often happens with a new doctor, the the writers and the actors are trying to learn what the new incarnation is like. Um, and so there's occasionally little bits where y- you can see them, you know, maybe not quite getting it right. And I think one of the areas where they're learning a bit is how this doctor works with anger. <laughs> um, I don't know that, I won't say that this doctor, you know, won't ever get angry. Um, but yeah. I don't know that it fits him quite the same way that it, it fits someone like Eccleston, you know, or, mm. or even someone like Tennant. Um, I think he has to kind of, he doesn't, to me, have this kind of same kind of straightforward intensity. Um, and I think there's a little bit of maybe them trying to figure out, okay, what does anger on the 11th Doctor look like? You know, and how do you play it? How do you write it? And then for Matt Smith, how do I make that work with my doctor, I guess? Um, So I think that's kind of part of it might be because they haven't quite settled on the characterization yet. Um, And so it comes off a little more um, unreasonable than it might Mm. um, if they were if they were characterizing it slightly differently. Um, yeah, perhaps. But anyway, just food for thought. I mean, I think we can keep looking at those things as the season goes on. Um, but uh, one thing I do kind of want to make sure that we talk about is is this revelation that Amy has about, you know, what it, why it is that she figures out the true motivation for the beast, you know, and, and the fact that because it reminds her of the doctor, you know, because there was, it won't eat the children, you know, and there were children mm. in trouble and it came, you know, and she kind of thinks of how when she was a child, she was in trouble and the doctor came. Um, and she's recently learned that he's the last of his kind, just like the beast is the last of its kind and everything. And she kind of makes this connection. Um, and she gives, you know, that speech about what if you were really old and really kind and alone, your whole mm-hmm. race dead, no future. If that, if you were that old and that kind and the very last of your kind, you couldn't just stand there and watch children cry. Um, and then later she says to the doctor, you know, it's, isn't it amazing that all that pain and misery and loneliness and it just made it kind. Um, and I kind of want to, this might be an open-ended question, but I want to kind of posit this as a potential answer to one of the questions you had about, um, again, like we kind of saw how the effect of the time war made Eccleston's doctor the way he was, you know, or Eccleston's experiences made Tennant's doctor the way he was, that there's always that each one shaping, you know, what comes next and everything. And um, you kind of had asked the question, okay, so we saw this extended period of the doctor on his own you know, and without a companion and very lonely. Um, And while we saw that that could be potentially a very dangerous thing, you know, like with the waters of Mars, um, another potential, I think we're getting from Amy, you know, 
an answer, if not the answer, as to what is the effect of all that pain and misery and loneliness. And it doesn't make him, you know, or at least it doesn't have to make him a vengeful, you know, god monster. It can just make him very old and very kind, you know. And that one potential answer to the question of what does that make of him is this, is this ancient being who then goes around trying to help people um which is kind of a i like to think of that as a nice hopeful answer to that question you know that he's not necessarily going to turn into darth vader you know maybe he'll just turn into a very old very kind you know more benevolent sort of being um sure anyway i just thought because we talked about that i kind of like Amy's answer to that question, I think, is very sort of conspicuous. Yeah. No, that's... And it is a sort of interesting thing, because you, you usually think of, like, the lonely old man as being, yeah, like the crotchety, you know, mm-hmm. guy, get the kids off my lawn. Right, or someone... Kind of thing. Or someone bitter, you know, yeah. that... Well, you yeah. Know, but just that, you know, the, the star whale and the doctor aren't bitter they actually the star whale you know goes out of its way to save the children despite the fact that the humanity like tortures it on a pretty much constant basis you know and he doesn't eat them he doesn't a couple hundred years yeah and he doesn't just like shake them off and leave them to their fate um he puts up with it for the children you know Mm. so um you know, I think just kind of one potential answer to the question of what is the effect of all that, as Amy says it, all that pain and misery and loneliness. Yeah. Um, and a, and again, a, a more a, a more hopeful one than a kind of, you know, nihilistic kind of response of, you know, well, the universe is cruel to me, so I'm going to be cruel to the universe. You know, the doctor kind of goes the other way. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess sort of on the same line that that also sort of seems to be like the motive behind, uh, you know, the things that he do, does seems to come from his explanation of, you know, about forgetfulness. You know, I, I'd love to forget mm. it all every last bit, but I don't ever not ever because this is what I do every time, every day, every second, this hold tight. And then, you know, we're bringing down the government, which is always yeah. something I like to hear. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, like, like you get that sense that it's not just like, you know, the being old and alone and kind, but it's also the sort of the remembering and knowing mm. what has happened, which is a result of that, right? That's like, it's remembering why he's alone. It's remembering yeah. why he's old and yeah. sort of remembering why he's sort of chosen to be kind you know like it's it's this whole idea that because he's the last one and and because he's seen all of the tragedy and experience and like literally just had it all brought up again like two episodes ago right you know (laughs) yeah yeah like 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 two hours ago by yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah we're not talking about because right it's like all of that happens and then he changes and crashes and yeah, then like he has to fight all these aliens, and now five minutes later, you know he's 
I didn't really think about that, but yeah, that's a lot of stuff that happens really quickly. Yeah. Like really, quickly. I guess we don't really know how long he's sort of traveling between, you know, the time that he, he saves Wilf and the time when mm. he actually regenerates. Like right. it, it could be right. But certainly it could be re- not real yeah. long. Like, like it could be a matter of hours. Like, I don't think it's days. Or even no, a day. I don't think so either. But and get... certainly it's not very long since the regeneration itself. Yeah. Right, right. No, but I'm just saying like that would be the longest like between like, you know, the moment where he's like, yes, I'm still alive. And then Wilf knocks. Yeah. <laughs> right. And he realizes that he's about to get to like when he sees Rose and goes stumbling back to the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like you get the feeling like, yeah, that could be maybe, I mean. He did, we don't see, the only part that we don't really see is, like, him going back to buy the lottery ticket and borrow a quid from Donna's father. But, like, that probably didn't take very long. (laughs) You know, how long does it take to ask someone for some money and go buy a lottery ticket, right? So, like, you know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. This isn't, like, we're not Yeah, this isn't a very long long gap, I don't think. And, and right, from there to, you know, the couple of hours he spends, yeah, not even, right? Because it's, like, 20 minutes that he has to do all the stuff with the aliens after, yeah, I mean, a little bit longer for the intro stuff. But, um, yeah, now, like, a few hours later, after he's regenerated, he's, like... yeah you know, doing all this other. So this is pretty fresh stuff in his mind. All of the stuff that got dredged up by the time Lords. Yeah. Possible return. And, and it seems to me that that's, that's part of it, right? you know, that I'd, I'd love to forget it all every last bit, but I don't not ever. Mm. Um, that seems to go along with the, like he just is kind and he is old and he is alone. And he is someone who doesn't forget. Like, and that's what he says. It's what I do every time, every day, every second. That's just who he is. Mm-hmm. And and so that that seems to be sort of going hand in hand. I don't I feel like yeah. I'm repeating myself, so I don't want to like dwell on that too much more, but No, I mean, hey, we're it's that memory thing again. <laughs> like I said, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And yeah. like we've said before, why is that important? Because like you said, it gives meaning to things. Like, he might be really old and alone, but he's only kind because he remembers what yeah. happened. You know, that his choice to be good and to help people and to be benevolent is based on his memory of his experience of right. everything. Well, and, and if you and if you right. choose to forget that, then you are like this really sick society that is not learning from its mistakes and is blindly you know allowing things to be decided for them and to not even really know what they're doing so yeah to know or care or or try to change it yeah um and yeah and that's the thing i mean because you can have kind people like you could have a kind older man who has you know like alzheimer's or dementia or something but like what's sort of the meaning behind that like yeah it's nice that they're kind but like there's not there's not like an explicitness and there's not like a um uh, a, a purposefulness, you know, to the being kind, yeah. which, which is what I think is sort of the point here is that there is, it's because these things have changed you and because you remember them that you are 
kind well, and also and, and alone we've seen and all of that. And we've seen the alternative that he could be the Time Lord victorious, but yeah. he chooses to not be that. He or, chooses to be kind instead. Or you know? he could be like the master, which right. like, you know, again, like you find out that like in a way the stuff that he did wasn't quite his fault, you know, because he was manipulated, but at He's the same time, it's still evil. like, <laughs> yeah, like there's still, you, you'd like to think that maybe if the doctor had had the same thing happen, he would have found a different way to deal with it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. so, yeah. Right. So yeah, again, no, there's, there's that, there's that element of choice that we see these examples of what he could be, but it's an active choice to be more like the star whale than like the master, you know, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right, like the star whale, after being tortured for hundreds of years, as soon as he stops being tortured, just goes faster and helps him out even more. Just goes faster. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a. Yeah. yeah, anyway. We don't know how intelligent the star whale is, but we, I think we can sort of figure that he's fairly intelligent. Or, uh, he seems or to she. be. I mean, if he specifically came to right. help them and is, and is uh, discriminating between the children and the adults. There seems to be a intelligence there, I think. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's where we're led to go as well. We just don't ever really get sort of confirmation of that. It's just kind of no. something we have to deduce. It's sort of implied, um, yeah. I feel like we crapped on the government enough. Do we need to talk about the Queen specifically? Because uh, it's kind of her government. Yeah, it's really up. all Liz Ten's fault. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing... Um, I guess just, again, like that, uh, that kind of running joke, I guess, of the doctor being intimately involved with the royal family that she yeah, says, yeah. drinking buddies with Henry 12, tea and scones with Liz too, Vicky was on the fence about you, exiled and knighted you on the same day, and so much for the Virgin Queen, you bad, bad boy. So, right. and I like the her line about, I'm the bloody queen, basically, I rule. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fine, and I but, mean, she's, yeah, I mean, she's okay. She's kind of a poor leader, but hey. <laughs> yeah, well, she, apparently she has her memory wiped every ten years or so. so. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, oh, the but, only other thing we wanted to talk about. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, but then again, she also chose to do that. So, like, yeah, you yeah. know, you have to like. You yeah, want, it's not you like she had to give her, but like she didn't really can't. have her memory wiped so much as choose to have her memory wiped. But, right, right. Um, before we, uh, I don't really have anything else to say about her. Um, I was just gonna say the only other thing with the doctor was we get the little peek at the, the crack in the wall. Um, yeah. Oh which, yeah. Yeah shows up um, and, and on it's the, the side same. of the spaceship. So, okay, right. So we see that. Obviously, it's the crack from Amelia's bedroom. Um, and and we also see that on the monitor in the TARDIS at the end of the last episode. Mm-hmm, yep. um, yeah. Yeah, when the doctor kind of... All... When, when he tells her he just wants her there because he's lonely, but really he's got this crack on the monitor and he's sort of like... That might also be a reason, you know. Yeah, right, because he still doesn't really know what it's about. And, and we get this sort of taunting from the um, multiform, whatever, uh, Prisoner Zero. I almost said Patient Zero. That's a different thing. Um, prisoner Zero. And uh, 
you know, about not knowing what the the cracks in the skin of the universe or whatever is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I mean, intriguing that they're all the same exact crack. Like they're all the mm-hmm. same shape, kind yeah. of almost a little smiley shape. It's uh, actually Moffat's. Um, the, here's Moffat again taking inspiration from things in his house. Um, that was a a crack in his son's wall. Um, oh, okay. And it looked ex- to him, it looked exactly like a crooked smile. And yeah. he thought, that's creepy. I'll use that. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, it is kind of like a Cheshire cat kind of smile. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely notice that on the side. Yeah. Uh, well, and talk about smiling. I mean, just, I did, I did initially think um, the smilers were pretty creepy. So, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think we can always count on Moffat to be at least somewhat creepy, even in yeah. even even if uh, the story is quite the mess, as he says. But yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, certainly that opening scene with the the kid. You know, it the first time I saw it, that was actually my very thought was, man, that's creepy. It was yeah. just you know, with with the the triple face thing, and yeah. then the you know floor opening up, whatever. It's not until later when you sort of realize that. You know, it, there's a lot of problems <laughs> with yeah, it. No, but that, just the, it's a strong visual image that um, it yeah. is kind of like a, it's almost sort of clownish. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, like it, you know, like a creepy clown. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Stephen King story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyway. All right, well, um... Not not the greatest story, but you know, I think. Well, well, well hey, don't wait. Now we need to talk about space whales. Oh, you're right. I um, forgot. I was about to. We only I was have about a couple. To move on. All right, we can't. We can't because I put way too much work into this. So maybe we won't have that much <laughs> to this, say when I'm wait, done. Wait, wait, wait. Now I I started off, um, like way back at the beginning of of the Buffy seasons with my whole history of Moloch. Is this going to be a history, <laughs> history of, space of space whales? This is totally a history of space whales. <laughs> oh my God. I got sucked into an internet wormhole of space <laughs> whales, which are apparently like a really big thing. Who knew, right? Who knew that Moffat was working in a grand tradition with this episode? So anyway, I'm no just going to run through this because I think it's great. Um, so you can look up the space whale on TV tropes. Um, where it says, space is an ocean. This is a well-known phenomenon. For some reason, though, the ocean is pretty much devoid of fish, but not of whales. Somehow, at some point, and they date it to the 70s, the ideas of space and whales became permanently interwoven in the collective unconscious. Why? No one really knows. Um, So I did a bit more Googling um, and found this... uh, io9 post um from a little while ago um called where did space whales come from um and they kind of make reference to the fact that it is kind of a a relic of 1970s psychedelia um and that you will often find posters and trapper keepers and everything in garage sales and everything and it totally made me have personal flashbacks because i remember and I'd forgotten this, but I can think of having, like, friends and stuff growing up who, like, would have, like, 
dolphins and whales surrounded by planets in outer space, like, on a poster or on, like, a folder for school and stuff. Um, and it is just this really strange little genre of art, which I'd kind of completely blocked out from my memory. Um, and, you know, so io9 kind of dates it to the 70s, and that kind of uh, what they what they call hippie hopes for world peace, you know, so there's this connection between like um, Well, so that article took me to an article by Rebecca Onion who was writing for this website Lapham's quarterly um, last year, so she kind of connects the environmental movement of the 60s and 70s with um, mm -hmm. this kind of widespread outlawing of whaling and then mm -hmm. you throw in psychedelia and space age stuff and you get whales in space um and yeah. so she kind of says like there's a connection between space appearing empty just as our oceans once appeared quiet um she kind of also cites some uh sort of archaic beliefs that dolphins might be aliens so that made me think of the hitchhiker's guide to the yeah, galaxy yeah. <laughs> um and then she says the best stories that feature space whales um, explore humanity's obsession with directing and controlling cetaceans, you know, or I guess controlling, you know, the natural world more broadly. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are whole Tumblr pages which are devoted to space whales. So if you just go to Tumblr and do a little bit of searching, you will find, you know, more than enough examples. Um, and then actually, there's also kind of a little tradition of uh, turtles in space, too, you know, because um, there's Terry Pratchett's Discworld, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with the great Atuin, who's, you know, supports the the Discworld on his back um, and sort of flies which, through space. Which comes from, like, that's more based on, like, uh, uh, Aboriginal myth. Yeah, it's like a stuff. it's like a Hindu thing, isn't it? Like a so I believe like there a world, are, tur a world there, turtle or something. Yeah, there are a number, and there's there's like various stories of of like for example, you, you know, people saying, "Oh, well, you know, it's a there's a turtle on top of a turtle, on so it's turtles all the way down, kind of thing." You know, yeah, like yeah, there, yeah. there's the uh, I, I can't remember, like Bertrand Russell or some famous scientist was supposedly approached by someone as that's like proof of you know creation or something but anyway yeah well and and you've read stephen king's the dark tower as well haven't you yes um i've only read the first two books so i think i spoiled myself a little bit but apparently according to google there's also a world turtle in that as well yeah they have like the guard yeah there's a number of like animal guardian yeah so anyway yeah. it just you know you put them all together and you get this picture. It seems what they all share is this kind of peacefulness, kindness, benevolence, you know, this kind of ancient, you know, giant water based animal who supports and cares for the world, you know, um, which is just an interesting little tradition. Um, and actually also in that, uh, I found in looking at the Dark Tower stuff, there's even a little rhyme that goes with that, which to me r really reminded me of the rhymes, the nursery rhymes in this episode. Um, in the Dark Tower one, it's, see the turtle of enormous girth, on his shell he holds the earth. His thought is slow, but always kind. He holds us all within his mind. On his back all vows are made. He sees the truth, but mayn't aid. 
He loves the land and loves the sea and even loves a child like me. Um, and so we get this little nursery rhyme about, you know, the turtle. That really reminded me of the nursery rhymes that we get in these episodes of, mm. or this episode about. The Beast um, Below. Yeah. The Beast Below. The first one is sort of an ominous one, you know. Um, a horse and a man above below. One has a plan, but both must go. Mile after mile above beneath. One has a smile and one has teeth. Though the man above might say hello, expect no love from the beast below. Mm. Um, but then Amy's version at the end um, is, it seems like this is like the collective understanding of the beast, which is filtering down through the culture into the childhood nursery rhymes. So you get the kind of sinister version, but then you get the kind of, once they learned the true, you know, motivation behind the beast, you get the 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 kind version, you know, in bed above, we're deep asleep, while greater love lies further deep. This dream must end, this world must know. We all depend on the beast below. So, again, sure. just kind of a little note of understanding for why the beast is doing this, and further kind of situating uh, this Doctor Who in this fairy tale world, you know, of mm-hmm. of nursery rhymes. Right, and, right. and child, you know, seeing it from a child's point of view and everything. Yeah, well, and and so that has the bookend effect, right? Of of yeah. seeing Amy in the beginning with the voiceover, and then hearing her voiceover at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. You know, with the you know in the beginning talking about her imaginary friend and having the Peter Pan sort of uh, yeah. references there, um, and and I guess the uh, now we get the the rhyme at the end with the um, yeah. Cheshire Cat smile crack. Yeah, uh, you <laughs> yeah. Know, there. So there's there's sort of multiple things. Yeah, multiple kind of warped fairy tale references and stuff. So yeah, yeah. And you have to wonder if the doctor saw that or not, because I don't think that. Well, I mean, that shot at the beginning of the episode, you know, we get a shot of sort of the whole ship there, and we mm-hmm. don't see that. Um, yeah, that crack then. So. Yeah. Anyway. Very, very intriguing. Yeah. So, so everybody right. go Google Space Whales. Yeah. And All right. enjoy enjoy your evening as you get sucked into the space whale. I know. Space whale wormhole. Contrary to my usual practice, after this episode, I'm going to go Google Space Whales instead <laughs> of watching the next episode. Instead of, yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. On to Angel. On to Angel. Okay. So I guess I want to start with the fact that, you know, we kind of have had these episodes connecting straight on from Buffy, you know, like you had like, you know, the phone call connection, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, you get little references to the fact that they're happening. But like here we get our first real sort of crossover, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, (laughs) and it was funny because like I... I don't think it was, I think it was after we stopped recording, you asked, or, or you didn't ask, you just sort of gave your prediction of, like, you weren't sure whether or not, like, there was the implication about Oz going to LA, so you weren't sure if he was going to appear, and, you know, whatever, and it's like, yeah, within, like, two minutes, we see Oz. It's pretty much, like, starts with, (laughs) well, and even before that, we see Spike, um, who I wasn't expecting, you know, I was expecting Oz to go straight to LA. I think I think I would have put money on Oz being in it. You know, I wasn't sure. 100% sure, but um that seemed would have seemed like a safe bet. Whereas 
I wasn't really expecting Spike to beat him there. You know, like, Oz is still driving there, and Spike's already there, because he knows... I guess he just sort of assumes that that's what they're going to do with it. And we don't really see how he makes that yeah, deduction, no, you're, really. You're right, we don't. And I think... It's, I just think, as, yeah, it's, it's a good guess, yeah. It's like... right. What else we, are they going to do with it? We know that Spike's not a dumb guy, right? I mean, he's a little impatient and you know that sort of thing but i mean you know he's he's lasted a long time he's he's fought numerous slayers and and he knows the relationship between buffy and angel so i think it's all sort of a logical conclusion at that point yeah it's an educated guess yeah um yeah so no that that i wasn't expecting as much um so you know first kind of my first gut reaction was just the kind of oh <laughs> more spike he's just sort of hopping shows now trying to get this darn ring back yeah. um and uh you know and i enjoyed his little uh mystery science theater style commentary <laughs> you know of like yeah what he thinks they're saying down below you know so like his sort of stuffy angel voice of yeah. You know, working up a load of sexual tension and prancing away like a magnificent poof is truly thanks enough. Yeah, yeah. Quickly, to the angel mobile, away! You know, <laughs> which, so he's catching on to, like, the Batman stuff and everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, just a cool little connection, and, and I like how the stories are separate, but they're also interwoven, and we are going to have the mm -hmm. characters who are occasionally um, hopping back and forth between the two yeah. um that just is kind of a neat feature i guess of having them back to back that way yeah yeah um yep so uh, so so now that we do have spike and oz i guess coming in what what uh yeah what are your thoughts about their their being there <laughs> um so i mean the main kind of thing uh that i'm starting to take away from spike is yeah he is old yeah he is you know a veteran you know slayer killer and and vampire and a and a nasty one at that but he's uh racking up the losses pretty heavily in these last couple of seasons like more than anything what i'm getting the sense of is spike sort of just desperation to win and his constant you know Probably, you know, like, you kind of get the impression that he's, for most of his sort of tenure as a vampire, he's sort of had his way with the world, you know, kind of done mm. whatever he wanted. But ever since he met that Buffy man, he just cannot win, you know. And so you, you just get the sense of his sort of frustration at that, um, you know, and really by, a, to jump ahead a little bit, just by the end... He's not even, like, by the time he's catching fire by accidentally, like, stepping in the sunlight for a second, you know, he's, like, all of the anger just drains out of him, and he's just depressed, you know? Like, you get that sense of, you know, really? You know? Like, Again? Uh, yeah. What is it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you just, and he kind of looks up at the sky, you know, as if he's appealing to someone to just be, like, can I just, like, have a break, you mm -hmm. know? And he just says, like... Man, I really hope they kill each other. Like, he doesn't even have the energy to really go after them, you know? Like, he doesn't really want to go fight Marcus for the ring. 
He doesn't really yeah. want to go finish Angel. Well, and he he just wants them to take care of each other. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like trapped in this warehouse now, too. Like, well, right, it's yeah. still daylight and everyone else is left, so. No, no, and he can't, you're right, he can't do that. But you do get, I, the impression I'm getting from Spike is, the, is a kind of weariness, you know? He doesn't seem to be, hmm. um, maybe it's the loss of Drusilla or maybe it's whatever, you know, but he doesn't quite as, it's not so much the kind of make trouble for its own sake that we kind of started with. It's more like he's trying to hinge, you know, like the whole thing with the gem is like ensuring his own invincibility and everything and it's yeah. really like he's only getting into these scraps because he just wants the friggin gem you know mm -hmm. that's kind of the whole point it's not like causing chaos because that's fun it's like no he's getting his butt kicked by buffy and angel but only because he's trying to get this ring so that he doesn't get his butt kicked you know um so anyway you know i don't know whether I'm spinning the character in a way that's not, you know, I guess hopefully I'm assuming and I hope that we're going to see more of him this season. Um, you know, so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'll have a slightly different spin to put on that later, but, um, that's kind of yeah. the impression I'm getting right now between these two episodes. Right. Well, and I don't want to spoil anything in case we do see him again later. And, and <laughs> you know, maybe we'll get to know more about him. Sure. Um, but no, I think I think those are all good sort of questions and thoughts and, and ideas. You know, I think so. A couple of things. One, you know, you mentioned like he is old and whatever. But remember, he is not as old as Angel. Mm. So he we don't know exactly what the difference is there but there is i mean and you sort of get that you know angel again he's the little older crotchety sort of whatever uh -huh. you know and spike is still sort of the punk right like so you even kind of get yeah. that in their sort of attitudes um yeah. so i think i think there's just sort of with that like yeah the fact that like spike does sort of seem to be trying to regain some former glory right so we yeah. saw him in season two of buffy where you know he, he and drew were kind of at the top of their game and whatever trying to bring about you know uh some kind of destruction but we also get his you know his you know i kind of like this world speech you know i don't right. want the world to end because it's kind of easy to get a happy meal on legs yeah. But now we've seen him like where, like you said, like with Buffy, Buffy kind of makes it not so easy to do that. Right? right. So so I think you're right to sort of point out that he's he's feeling frustrated in a number of ways. Yeah. You know, one with the loss of Drusilla, but sort of hand in hand in that the the sort of impotence of being a vampire. And so I I would definitely keep an eye on that sort of the frustration and his desire because now the ring is gone so if we right. do see him again what's sort of his motive gonna be hmm. you know where will he be looking to find you know some kind of of again if he's trying to reclaim former glory or build new glory or what you know is he still i mean we know he didn't like harmony too much and we know Drusilla left him again 
Is he right. going to try to get Drusilla back again somehow? Like, right. You know, right. that well, kind of thing. Like, is and that's his... one of the things he finishes by saying is, uh, um, no more partners, soul survivor, right. lone wolf, you know? Right. So other people just screw things up. So whatever he's going to do, he seems resolved to do it on his own, you know? But we've also seen how much resolve Spike can have, you know. Well, exactly. I, yeah, I had yeah. a plan and I got bored, you know. Like. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't think, yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, definitely Spike's insight into his own, you know, plans is, you know, unreliable, to say the least. Yeah. yeah. And you definitely get the sense that, you know... Like, that's kind of a defiant, no more partners, sole survivor. You know he'd rather be doing this with Drusilla, you know? Oh, sure, um, sure. So, you know, that's kind of a a petulant in the moment. I'm sick of people, and I'm sick of people screwing me over, and me losing and getting the short end and everything. So, yeah. um, he might feel differently tomorrow, so. Yeah. Um, and I like that. So, like, in this episode, even, like, the whole, you know, he gets someone who's an expert in torture and whatever to help him, you know, get the ring from Angel and whatever. But, like, each of those points along the way are sort of, like, either him, uh, you know, um, like, he, he doesn't do a very good job of, like, letting... <laughs> you know, Marcus do what his job is, right? No. He kind of he kind of keeps interfering and he's micromanaging the yeah. torture a bit. And then like, you know, he's so confident like that he chose someone whose addiction would like make it so that he doesn't want the ring. Uh anyone with half a brain, it seems, would realize that like the guy would want the ring just as much as he does because it would help support his addiction even more. Like, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know if yeah, he likes children, can, you know, now not he too can many, go in the daytime where there are children. <laughs> right. Not too many children are sort of roaming the streets of L.A. on yeah. their own at night. Yeah. So like now he can go to the beach and find groups of them all together. And yeah. Harass no, them and I way. guess so. I guess I kind of that's part of this sense of. Um, I mean, there Spike is always. Impulsive, Like, I don't think of Spike as someone who, under the best of circumstances, is the most kind of thoughtful in his planning, you know? But um, but I think I also kind of see that as part of this desperation of he's making mistakes all over the place because he's just trying so hard to, you know, one-up Buffy mm -hmm. and Angel, you know? Yeah. Like, and in his sort of quest to beat them, he's sort of going about it in rather a bumbling sort of fashion, you know, like he's not at his best, you know, mm -hmm. and, and as a result, he is kind of doing things which do appear to be kind of stupid, like trusting this guy, you know, trust, like he kind of mocks Cordelia for saying like, you know, I don't trust you and him saying, well, duh, you know, but you kind of are like, yeah, you should kind of feel the same way about Marcus, like, yeah, like what you, you seem so calm, and like I yeah. love because like his response to Angel is like, "Oh, you know, too bad I didn't think about that." Oh, wait, I did. Well, yeah, but you clearly didn't think about but it you enough. Didn't. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, like maybe you should have thought something a little more about yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, 
yes, he is always impulsive, but I think he seems to me um, even more so these days. And I think, I think it's this sense that I have that he's sort of, you know, flailing about trying to, you know, I guess, put himself back on top, but he keeps knocking himself further and further down as a result, mm. um, which is funny. It makes for good comedy, you know, to have him sort of like, you know, uh, lamely kind of throwing things around in the kitchen and like, you know, or catching fire, you know, like Spike is funny when he's sort of being, you know, inept, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Good, good stuff from Spike. Uh, uh, well, I guess any anything else about Marcus before we he kind of gets tied in with Spike there Ugh, and, he, and, well, and the whole and the whole gem and all of that sort of part of it. He's creepy. I will give him that. Yeah. He's very creepy. Um, he was pretty creepy as kind of a weird torture vampire, but you know, then you say that he goes for kids and it's all over, you know. So, yeah, there's like a whole other, a whole other level of creepy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that I didn't, you know, that was pretty disturbing when it was just Spike like alluding to it, like oh he likes kids and another or he likes to eat and other nasty things, you know. And that's kind of just the idea of it, you know, is bad enough. But then I wasn't expecting um, us to actually like see him. It's one of those things where you kind of lose track of how far into the episode you are, you know? And I was kind of expecting mm. he puts on the ring and goes out into the sunlight. And I was expecting the episode to end, you know, like whether or not we would oh, come okay. back to him, like what maybe we would come back to him as a recurring villain, or maybe you would just never see him again. And you would have this sense that he's out there somewhere, mm. you know? Um, but no, we actually, and it's one of those things where it's like, I just, didn't look at the clock and kind of forgot that there's still like 10 minutes or whatever to go in the episode. So it took me by surprise then to see him actually like to us actually get a view of him going straight to the beach and head straight for the Cub Scouts, you know, or whatever. Mm, yeah. um, so it kind of puts a real like, uh, no, this is very real. This isn't some abstract threat that's out there. Like this guy is going now. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, and and you get the big, um, you know. So I like that with because I would have kind of not thought anything of it if we just never saw him again. But I like that they actually had Angel say like, "No, we have to go take care of this guy like right this minute." Um, and it doesn't matter how hurt I am, you know. He we don't have any time to waste. Mm -hmm. Um, and you get the big kind of showdown and everything um so i kind of like that because it wasn't really what i expected but it kind of really if you're saying that this guy is like not just a vampire but like a monstrous sort of pedophile or something then you really should just go take care of him <laughs> and i like that the episode did that you know because they could have just left it sort of hanging i guess mm -hmm. um but it, it, it further emphasizes Angel's sort of commitment, you know, 
to do the right thing. You know, that we can't just let this guy go. We have to go take care of him right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like you said, it. you're kind of glad that he's not still out there. Because yeah, that would have been just really kind of a, out there. a bad feeling Yeah, about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Marcus, kind of a creepy guy, but that's okay. We're, we're okay with it. And, and really, uh, one of the first sort of significant named vampires that we've seen in a while that, that we didn't already sort of know, right. You know, beyond like Angel and Spike or whatever, like the last one I guess would have thought of would be, um, Prolic, Mm -hmm. you know, from, from Buffy's 18th birthday there. Yeah, and which he shares some sort of similarities to. Um, yeah. Like that kind of, not just, not just a vampire, and that kind of seems to be the difference between red shirt vampires and named vampires is like, red shirt vampires are just sort of vampires, right? They just, they just attack people. They just suck people's blood. You know, like, they're fairly killable. They are not that, you know... They kind of do what you expect. These named ones seem to be like perverted in some way, you know, or extraordinary in some way, you know, like mm-hmm. they have some, you know, it, it's not an, like if you're going to be a named vampire villain, it's not enough to just be a vampire. It's like you have to have some extra thing, which is, you know, makes you like more of just, you know, a regular monster. But um yeah. You know, yeah. like they they seem to be, you know, I guess, extreme in their monstrousness or something. Sure. Sure. Um. So yeah, okay. And then, uh, I guess with uh, Oz sort of bridges bridges the gap there. So yeah, like you were saying, like you know, you sort of lose the point that you're at in the episode were you expecting Oz to sort of come back after that initial no no I wasn't yeah because I kind of like okay he dropped it off they went to the pub he went to his gig and he's going home you know and that was kind of yeah I mean which I I think I definitely had the sense I mean I Cordy says we need a plan um so I had a sense that she and Doyle would have something up their sleeve, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I didn't necessarily, I didn't predict that it would be Oz. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, sort of crashing through the warehouse door with his van. With his, with his sort of Scooby van there and, (laughs) and the crossbow. Um, and I like, uh, you know, you get some good humor between, uh, him and Angel with their, uh, one word conversation like yeah one word at a time <laughs> yeah yeah are they always like this yeah we're usually we're no laconic. we're usually laconic <laughs> um yeah it's like they don't well, and, like and this also, is totally what their conversations would be like be you know also between him and cordy where you're where she's like oh ah is everything that embodies sunnydale and like she's so happy to see him it's like you left Sunnydale. You hated Sunnydale. Yeah, and, I know. You know, like, like all, all yeah, the stuff. Like, like well, how's the gang? all this stuff about the gang. Yeah, yeah. Good, you know. Uh, yeah, no, just kind of funny. And, right, and then, you like, there's the opportunity there to sort of realize that 
The only thing Oz and Cordy ever really had in common was that their significant others cheated on them with each other, you know, like, right. like, which is not really something that, yeah. You want to bond you, over. You want to remember. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's just kind of that that weird sort of awkward, like, oh, there's someone from my past, you know, that I've left far behind. Yeah, but Oz is sort of grounded enough to make her and us realize, like, yeah, you really don't have much to talk about. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. we kind of go, like, are, are we done? Yeah, completely. Like, yeah. you know, she acted like this is like a big reunion, but really that's about all we have to say. Right. Um. So, yeah, no, pretty, pretty funny little some scenes there with Oz. Um, well, and, and if I would have predicted the character, the first characters to make a, a crossover appearance in Angel, it wouldn't have been Oz. So, um, sure, sure. So that was kind of fun, you know, like sure. a, but, to kind of but take if, a character you wouldn't expect and throw him into that situation. But I like that they do have it be Oz because it does feel, you know, it feels a little more natural that like yeah. he would be going to LA for a gig, right? right it maybe makes sense. His, yeah. his band's getting a little more popular, maybe, and, and, you know, yeah. they're branching out a little more. So, you know, they're going to LA versus, I mean, what other sort of, reason would you be able to sort of make up right in order to do that so i right. i do like it it feels a little even though it's not a maybe because it's not a predictable sort of yeah. thing it feels a little more natural yeah no that. it feels like it's not the kind of predictable oh like it would be whoever we want it to be for story reasons like giles or buffy mm. or something it's like no like oz is the natural person so it's gonna be him yeah yeah um no that was good so and and yeah, like you said, nice to see sort of the crossover, and and we may or may not see other crossovers. Probably <laughs> we'll see them. Yes. Okay. Um. But yeah. So all right. Uh, I guess sort of the more the main. I mean, Spike and that you know he drives sort of the plot of the story. But then mm -hmm. like you get Angel, who's obviously I mean again still still his show. It's still named after him. So, you know, what what do we sort of learn from him, I guess, in this episode? Beyond, um, well, go ahead. Well, I think we learn kind of a lot um, because it starts with um, talking about bookends. This, show, this episode kind of has bookends, too, of talking about, um, well, it starts with him rescuing another blonde damsel in distress it's this yeah, time it's running Rachel. down a dark alley running down a dark yeah. alley i'm sensing a theme um and but we kind of find out that um there's nothing supernatural about this right like the, yeah. so so we kind of find out she's um their first client in the sense of someone who came to them for help not someone they not a name that Doyle was given or someone mm -hmm. they sought out, but someone who actually came and, you know, is... Was having in, problems. In and... theory, a client, although probably not with the means to actually pay them. But, um, but you know, of course, with this twist that she's not running from a vampire or a monster, she's just has a really bad boyfriend. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, she kind of gets Angel involved to take care of him um and you know i you know angel beats him up and i assume drops him off at the police or something that um, seems to be the implication although yeah we never really find out 
Because she says, like, he got out of you know, right. jail. Right, he or got out of jail. Yeah, that's the... So yeah, the implication so, is that, yeah, Angel did something to help him get into jail yeah. at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's and, definitely how I read it. And and don't forget that we know that Angel has a police connection. Has an too. in with the police, right. So, I mean, that she's not explicitly brought up here, but it's sort of worth keeping that in the back of your mind, that yeah. sort of thing. So, anyway. Yeah. So, um, you know, and so... I guess, I mean, there's other stuff we can kind of go back and talk about in the middle there, but the bookend being that, I guess, the the ring, you know, the, the gem of Amara that he gets given, um, I guess sort of symbolizes this sort of choice that he has to make, that he can either wear this ring and go about like normal people, um, and in theory help people like Rachel, you know, who, you know, aren't plagued by demons, but, or not literal ones, but have just like, you know, fallen into bad circumstances and need a hand, you know, um, or, you know, he can deny the ring and, you know, deny himself, you know, all these sort of normal people things like sunshine and, happiness and hope and you know everything that kind of symbolizes but that but then he can be better equipped to help the people at night you know who have nobody else you know and who are plagued by other kinds of demons that you know the normal police don't really take care of um so i kind of like that they used um you know, that that's not just an abstract kind of debate, that they use Rachel as an example of that, that you kind of have him mm -hmm. sort of faced with, not that he doesn't want to help Rachel, but you kind of have this example of, you can kind of do one or the other. He can't really do both, you know? Yeah. Because, I don't know if he really sleeps, but he can't, be out constantly all the time protecting all kinds of people. There's a sense that he has to make a choice. Right. Um, right. And that much as he would like to help somebody like Rachel, like he says, the whole world is designed to help people like her. And she has, she has resources to do that. You know, that it's a matter of her taking his advice and having the strength within herself to... Mm -hmm not call this guy to not be with somebody like that to go and ask for help and if she does she should be able to cope with the daytime world you yeah. know that there she can actually take steps to save herself from that she doesn't need angel in that way um not the same way as the people who are being chased by monsters and demons need angel right you know like their need they have much less control over those demons you know rachel actually if she gets herself together could turn her life around mm -hmm. um whereas you kind of get the sense that the people who are preyed on the by these things in the night have less control um and you know are less capable of saving themselves from, you know, their own situation, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly. I mean, what he, you know, he says they, 
you know, the people, uh, well, Doyle says, you know, think of all the daytime people you could help between nine to five, right? Which is sort of the, in, in the U.S. anyway, the, the sort of quintessential working hours, right? Like, yeah. you know, it, you, you could be this guy, which, you know, it's kind of funny because what sort of private detective only works from nine to five anyway. So like, sure. even that in itself is sort of absurd just for the, the type of profession that he's chosen to be in. But, you know, yeah, Angel says the whole world is designed for them. So much so that they have no idea what goes on around them after dark. So I think in a way that this is very similar to what the doctor is even mm. saying, right? It's that, you know, the doctor's saying, I'd, I'd love to forget, you know, but I'm not going to. Like, that. that's sort of, that's the cop-out, right? Yeah. That's that's the way to not do it. So, you know, Angel's kind of in the way of saying the same thing. Like, if if I were to put on this ring and only go about during the daytime, it might be really nice for me and that'd be great. But then, then I'm forgetting sort of all these people who need help. I'm forgetting about, um, what he said, the, the, the ones, um, the weak ones lost in the night, you know, and the things that prey on them, you know? So it's like, he would basically be ignoring or eschewing sort of what he sees as his whole purpose. And, and, you know, what we see from the beginning and what he even the one thing he sort of admits to Marcus here, right, is that he's looking for forgiveness. Mm. And by keeping this ring, he'll never get that forgiveness because he won't have atoned for all of the bad stuff that he's done. Right. Um, and that that seems to be, uh, yeah, sort of his his motive behind destroying the ring and not wanting to keep it around. Which is, you know, I think there's there's sort of a sense in which we're supposed to have the same incredulity as Doyle does. You know, it's like, what? Why wouldn't you keep this? Because even even if you continue to help, you know, you, you could theoretically have both. You could have the ring, keep the ring yeah. so that it's available and still help people at night. <laughs> like, you know, it's not it's not like you have to have the ring and only use it during the daytime because you can use it during the daytime. But like Angel seems to be saying that it would just, it would become too much of a temptation that he doesn't even want to, you know, have that be a possibility for him because, because he might forget, not because he will definitely forget, but that because he might, maybe I'd stop seeing too. He says, you know, maybe that would be something. And so, better that no one have it than yeah. to to have the temptation to use it improperly yeah yeah that's definitely the sense i got from you know that line about it's not redemption it just looks like it you know that yeah yeah he would be forgetting that you know if he is able to walk around like a normal person he might start to forget the fact that he's not just like anybody else you know if you feel mm. if you look normal and you feel normal then what makes him different and his yeah. differentness is what enables him to help these other people, you know, yeah. that he has to be kind of, you know, uh, lonely and, and nocturnal in order to mm. remember that, you know, there are other people who are lonely and nocturnal and need help, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's well, kind I'm... of Marcus's Marcus has a kind of true insight into angel and in that, it's not, he does want forgiveness, but he doesn't want to 
just be forgiven. He wants to earn the forgiveness. You know, that there's, it's that self-flagellating thing, you know, or, or yeah. the brooding part of life that it's not <laughs> enough to just be passively forgiven. He wants to, I guess maybe atonement is a better word than forgiveness because it seems like he wants to actively, you know, achieve it. It's not just, I want to accept you know, forgiveness, but he actually wants to go out and do good works, I guess, to, you know, to have earned it. Um, and he, like you said, would be in danger of, of losing sight of that purpose if he is able to live, you know, as though he's already atoned and already yeah. forgiven. And, and there's, all, and even, I mean, I think that's right, but it's even like more than that, too, because there's sort of a slippery slope element to the fact that if he's like you said, like he might forget and think he's a normal person when he's not really. But, you know, what also goes along with that? He might become happy. Right. <laughs> and if he right. has a moment of happiness, true happiness, right, then, yeah, then he could lose everything and become evil again. Right. And. and that would be even worse in the long run. So right. there's, there's sort of that, right. you know, right. he, he yeah, has to maintain a, his unhappiness. There's, a, you know, there's like, a practical purpose to the self-flagellation. There's like a, yeah, I have to keep reminding myself of my own pain because if I don't, things, yeah, could go really yeah. bad. Which kind of makes you wonder, like, is there ever, like, is there ever enough atonement that he could do, you know, like, right to ever meet that? And you kind of feel like, no, no, not really. Yeah. Not if he's not in this life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Which is eternal for right. him, basically. Right. right. You know, barring, barring I mean, he's already staked. been sent to hell once, you know, well, that's you know true. and he came back. So, <laughs> right. That's um, true. Anyway. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's exactly where we're supposed to be at. And I mean, it's, it's not subtle. I mean, he sort of explains it all to us, but sure, I think, yeah, no, I think we it's, get a nice little monologue. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, sort of all this stuff about, I like that, that they bring Spike in the ring and that they have this sort of plot driven element to it. But I, I'd like to, that there's with the ring and with, um, you know, the two different shows between Buffy and Angel, mm. it has such a different connotation for, you know, the different characters, right? I mean, at the end of, yeah. at the end of, um, you know, the harsh light of day with Buffy, you get, you know, the three women sort of walking aimlessly alone mm. in the dark. And, and there, the sense of being in the dark is not a good thing right it's 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 the you know they're looking for something they want they want to be you know they want to find whatever it is that can sort of make them happy and be in the light and but but by the end of angel it's just the opposite it's that being in the dark is exactly where he's supposed to be yeah so it's you know just again those sort of two differing well and we've seen that and, and we've seen that was it the last episode where he once he doesn't want to go out, he wants to stay home and sit in the dark. That the darkness has a bizarrely illuminating effect on Angel. Like he can sure. see better in the dark, 
You know, yeah. like he would get blind if he were in the light all the time. Yeah, you know? well, or set I mean, on fire. <laughs> or set on fire. But like, you know, if he had the ring on, he yeah. would be spiritually blind, you know, rather than... Right, right, right. But like, it would have a kind of a numbing effect on him, he seems to mm-hmm. think. Whereas it's you do get that sense of he is more at home, or at least is more functional. He's maybe, He might not be happier in the dark, but he can... You know, uh, he works better that way, yeah. and he'll do a better job that way. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to rely too much on Marcus because everything he says is kind of twisted. But sure. he does. He does have that line that you know where he talks about that seems sort of appropriate to Angel. You know, we hate the light of day, and it hates us back in kind. And of course, that's almost not exactly but almost of reference to again that title of the harsh light of day from mm-hmm. the buffy episode like it's yeah. it's that it's the illuminating light that you know doesn't pull any punches so to speak if yeah. i could sort of mix metaphors there right it it it's yeah that being in the light it's it's it is harsh and it is unkind and it 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 doesn't do us any favors you right know? right um yeah, you can't hide any flaws, and it can be a burning, both literally, you know, and metaphorically, it can be a burning thing rather than yeah, an illuminating thing. And definitely, um, before I watched this episode, um, mm-hmm. after we watched The Harsh Light of Day, and then I saw that this was called In the Dark, you know, definitely that jumped out to me as, oh, this is, no matter what it does with the ring, right. you could tell it was going to play with those same themes because of that contrast of of light and dark yeah. and everything yeah there is a sort um, of dualistic like a, a yin yang sort of yeah and it and effect. it's not quite what you expect because it's the light which is sort of harsh and difficult whereas this kind of gives not a it doesn't spin the dark as a as a good thing necessarily but for angel it seems to be mm-hmm. you know that at least it's a good thing in the sense of it's where he should be, you know, yeah. it may not be pleasant, but it's maybe more beneficial in the long run. Yeah. You know what it made actually, just when you were saying that, I, I just thought of this, um, is, uh, similar to, um, the opening episode of Firefly titled Serenity, mm-hmm. uh, where Shepard book at the end, goes into Anara's cabin and, and, or, you know, ship or whatever. And, and she says to him, you know, he's like, I, you know, all this stuff has happened and I'm not sure, you know, yeah. about whatever. And she's like, well, maybe that's because it's right where you're supposed to be kind of thing. Like it's the yeah. same sort of feel as that. I think, uh, you know, what yeah. we get from Angel here. Well, and kind of the, I mean, and this is kind of the connection between the two episodes between Angel and the doctor, I think is like, some of the net, not that pain and loneliness are good things, which you should want to have, you know, or that they're always good for you, but there can be beneficial aspects to suffering. You know, you can become a more, you know, sometimes suffering produces bitterness, but sometimes it produces kindness, you know, and in Angel's yeah. case and the doctors, it seems like all of that, that age and experience and suffering leads them to a more sensitive place overall that it, it has the effect of making them 
you know, good towards other people. Sure. Um, and want to help other people. So. Sure. And, and again, like I do like that a lot with after all the hell he goes through this episode, um, you still get him caring at the end about the children, you know, that that's like an immediate concern. We have to go do this right now. Like it's just driving home that kind of heroism, you know, because he, you could, you could imagine how can he even think straight, you know, after what he's been through. Um, but he insists right. that they turn around and then jumps out of the van and catches on fire and, like, beats up the guy in the water. Like, he, like, you know, you get this kind of accumulating, like, oh, my God, what's he going to do now kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> And sure. definitely, like, I, when I first saw that, I was like, holy crap, he just <laughs> combusted yeah. into flames and dove off the pier. So, yeah, um, this is kind of... A big hero episode for Angel, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, that that him bursting into flames and falling off the pier and stuff. Good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. So, all right. Well, enough about Angel. <laughs> anything, anything about like Doyle and Cordy? I think those are the only two that we haven't really talked much about. Uh, that you wanted to bring up. Um. Well, I guess we talked a little about Cordy already, but we did talk a little bit. I mean, I guess we're getting more like them just kind of being paired up a lot, you know, as you know, so I guess we'll see where that goes, you know, so you're getting this kind of they're not flirty exactly, but they have a kind of bickering sort of banter to yeah. them. Um Well, and and Doyle's not so subtle on the hints right you know no. oh if we're gonna take that cruise together you know or yeah yeah like you know she oh i could hug you and he yeah. holds his arms open well you're not that lucky yeah not that you lucky know? yeah like that um, that kind of thing no so um but and then and you get to that he um again is deliberately hiding his demon half from her that you know he waits until she turns around before yeah. he you know, transforms and sniffs the air and everything. Um, and she kind of notices, but not enough to really put two and two together. You know, she's right. sort of like, she knows something happened. Yeah. Like you but... found that awfully quick. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, other than to kind of say, we'll see where that goes. Um, I'm not sure where it's going. You know, because he kind of wants it to go somewhere, but also they kind of fight a lot. So it's not like yeah. he's like fawning all over her. It's kind of a bickery flirting, if anything. Um, yeah. Well, and you get the, yeah, almost, you know, you get like, like Xander and Cordy. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely that. And, um, and, and you get them like, uh, you know, giving each other a hard time about their equally messy apartments and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and I was going to say even like, you know, Doyle's like, oh, let's go celebrate. And she's like, oh, he would celebrate the opening of a mailbox. But then like she goes with him. You right. know what I mean? Like, And it's I guess like, that's my point is like, I can't say that I think they seem like they're getting really close, like romantically, but they are spending a lot of time together. Like, yeah, we've had several episodes now where Angel is kind of doing one thing and the two of them are kind of paired off doing something else. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, you know, whether by choice or not, they're getting, you know, and it is that kind of tension of, you know, Cordy doesn't seem to want to go hide at Doyle's. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like she, like, she kind of protests a little bit. Like, I don't want to go to Doyle's. Why can't I just go to my house? But, but then once she's there, then they're chatting away, you know, she's eating popcorn and telling him stories about Sunnydale and stuff, and they seem to be getting along okay. So you're getting a little bit of mixed signals from them as far as, like, how, and I don't mean like each other, like, like romantically, because I think he clearly does, and she doesn't at this point. You know, that's pretty obvious, but how much do they like each other, like, as people? You can't quite tell yet, you know, like... Sometimes they kind of seem like they get on each other's nerves, but sometimes they seem like they get along great. Um, so I think I don't know what else to say about that yet. I don't know them well. I don't know Doyle well enough, and I don't know yeah. their relationship well enough yet to see where yeah. that's going. No, I, I think that's all good analysis, and that will be we'll uh, we'll keep tabs on it. That's all I'll say at this point. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> um, Cordy is, though, apparently still trying to be the actress. In yeah, fact, she's still... She doesn't really work here. She's, she's right. an actress. And she's she an actress. And in between. Yeah. Between gigs. We yeah. don't know how many actual gigs she's had. Uh, I suspect <laughs> none, but I, that's just a suspicion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so... Yeah. And Doyle, we don't, other than getting visions from time to time, we don't really know at all what he does. Although apparently he cannot no. throw a punch. No. Uh, that's one of the worst punches that he, like he throws it like way up high. Like it would have gone over his head even if Marcus hadn't ducked. Yeah. Like the way he punches. So he's not a good fighter, which we already kind of knew. Like he's yeah. the guy who runs away. But yeah. I guess at this time, this time he actually went in and tried to help out. So Yeah, but like... You get you get the sense that he's all mouth, you know. He's the guy yeah. who mouths off and gets beat up in the bar. He's not like winning any bar fights. Hmm. I wonder. Do we know any other characters who likes to mouth off and who is very bad at fighting? Perhaps mm. who lives in Sunnydale and is good friends with Buffy and Willow, <laughs> and who might have dated Cordelia, <laughs> and, and who maybe point. dated Cordy yeah. at some point. Uh, yeah. Have we yeah. identified Cordy's type? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Well, and I'll just I'll just throw this back to, you know, Xander and Anya last week, where Xander talks about liking right, right. Anya's. Your, I like your you have a certain direct approach yeah. that I that I yeah. admire. So yeah. you know, That's I mean, true. you know, there may be an element of each of them looking for something of the other. Although, yeah. I mean, but or, but or even just it is a type that maybe I mean, Xander quite spectacularly you know blew it with their relationship but they seemed to be doing well before that you know so you got the sense of if he hadn't done that maybe they would have been happy so maybe it's not wrong for them to be you know looking for other people who have personalities that they're kind of interested in you know so yeah and 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 on sort of on the other side, I absolutely do not want to sort of suggest uh, because this this is a suggestion that gets made from time to time yeah. that um, 
that like Anya is just sort of a swap in, swap out replacement for Cordy, Cordy 2.0 or, yeah. or that um, on the other side, which I don't think is ever really a big, like, I think it's less so with like Xander and Doyle. Like, I don't think we're meant to see Doyle as like the Xander of Angel or anything, right. but, but there are certainly, you know, some resemblances There's that some, I think some, they Yeah, like, yeah, you know? and with either of them, I don't think it's just they went out and find a found a clone of their old relationship. No, no. But there's enough similarity that you can see it, it, it. these are the kind of people that they are attracted to, you know? So it wouldn't surprise you if they do get interested, you know? Right. Um, right. There's um, enough similarity there to make that a plausible theory. But, uh, yeah, I think it's worth noting and then also worth, saying okay well but what difference is and and how are they unique as well so yeah we can continue to do that i think yeah definitely anyway so yeah um cool well yeah i i mean i think this sort of combined so yeah you get the odd sort of thing where it's not it's not really like a two-parter but because right. the stories sort of bleed into each other, you can it sort kind of, of feels like it, yeah. Yeah, you can sort of see where that where that happens. So yeah, anyway, definitely. Um, good stuff. Alrighty. Well, I guess that brings us sort of to the end. Unless there's anything else you had to say or want to uh, throw out there. No, I think we are all good. All right. Well, then we'll be back uh, next week with. Uh, Presumably, a very exciting episode of Doctor Who, and uh, <laughs> and and actually a, a a pretty decent episode of Buffy. So we'll uh, we'll be we'll be back. All right, see you then. Mm-hmm.